Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio, the George Washington Broadcast Center. Here's Armstrong and Getty. You're listening to the best of the Armstrong and Getty Show. This is straight out of the Department of Unintended Consequences or, uh, you know, just unforeseen complications. But the L.A. Times, which is uh, unquestionably a lefty uh, publication, uh, really interesting coverage in depth of the... Uh, what's happened on the ground after the legalization of marijuana in California? Their headline is, The Reality of Legal Weed in California, Illegal Grows and Deaths. And they go into, they open the article with a description of what's happening up in the uh, Shasta area, you know, Redding and above, Shasta County. And so one of my favorite places in the world, uh, just absolutely gorgeous, but uh, wild and untamed. Uh, and I'll just read some of it to you. At this hour and distance, Serene Hughes cloaked the rugged enclave of Mount Shasta Vista, a tense collective of seasonal camps guarded by guns and dogs, where the daily runs of water trucks are interrupted by police raids, armed robberies, and sometimes death. So many hoop houses, that's your, like, uh, semi-temporary growing houses, like greenhouses, you'd call them. Hoop houses. So many hoop houses pack this valley near the Oregon border that last year it had the capacity to supply half of California's entire legal cannabis market. Wow. Prop 64, California's 2016 landmark cannabis initiative, sold voters on the promise that a legal market would cripple the drugs outlaw trade with its associated violence and environmental wreckage. That's what I was hoping. That was the idea of uh, ending prohibition. 
and legalizing booze once again. Here is the reality, briefly stated. Instead, an L.A. Times investigation finds the law triggered a surge in illegal cannabis on a scale California has never before witnessed. Rogue cultivation centers like Mount Shasta Vista now engulf rural communities scattered across the state as far afield as the Mojave Desert, the steep mountains on the north coast, and the high desert and timberlands of the Sierra Nevada. Residents in these places describe living in fear next to heavily armed camps. Criminal enterprises operate with near impunity, leasing private land and rapidly building out complexes of as many as 100 greenhouses. Police are overwhelmed, able to raid only a fraction of the farms, and even those are back in business often within days. The raids rip out plants and snare low-wage laborers while those responsible, some operating with money from overseas, remain untouched by the law, hidden behind straw buyers and fake names on leases. Okay, so uh, let me throw out the obvious question. Maybe you've got that coming up in this very article, uh, the answer to this. But the obvious question is, if pot is legal and there's so many people smoking legal weed, how are they? how is there a demand for that much illegal weed? How much pot are we smoking? I mean, I smoke... A bale, a bale and a half a week, mm. like the size of a bale of hay. That's what a little I, aggressive. <laughs> but seriously, how much pot are we smoking to keep both the legal business and the exploded illegal business going? Brief answer to that question is because California, unlike some other states, uh, for various reasons, some of which are fairly noble, they enacted a regime of a tremendous amount of regulation and very, very high taxes. And so that creates an incentive for somebody to undercut those prices. You combine that with just culturally speaking, law enforcement wise, hunting down and rooting out marijuana is just not what it was 20 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's, uh. But wasn't the assumption, the assumption would be that you didn't, you're not gonna have to enforce the law. There, there's no market for it. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which would have been true if not for the, the super high regulations and taxes that have made, uh, an overly expensive legal, uh, market combined with a lax attitude toward marijuana in general. So, hey, potheads, now I'm gonna have to talk really slow. Oh, boy. Because you're stoned out of your gourd. Are you still buying illegal pot when you could go down the street and buy it legally because it's cheaper? Yeah. I mean, if it's a third cheaper. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Uh, your explanation yeah. was good, but what's what's the difference between pot and booze with the way that works? You know, like I said... Prohibition ended and the whole bootlegger Al Capone thing kind of went away because it just wasn't the market for it anymore. Is it just because it's, uh, you can't, you can't cheaply make beer that's good the same way you can cheaply grow pot that's good? Yeah, I think the difference is, and this is off the top of my head, and if uh, somebody wants to weigh in, please feel free to mail back. One of you, you drink and one of you smoke, you idiot. That's the difference. Yeah, well played, well discussed. Ah, I think to produce liquor at an industrial scale is incredibly difficult to hide. You can grow marijuana out in the middle of nowhere. My roommate We're, did it in his, uh, his closet. 
for instance. Uh, but you can grow where no one ever goes. I mean, they talk about these grow houses, um, canopy-covered hoop houses that permit three to five harvests a year. They're out in the middle of nowhere with generators and lights that are hidden from you know anybody viewing them. So they're just incredibly hard to find. And there's the process of turning marijuana the crop into marijuana the consumable consumer good is you chop it off the plant and let it dry for a while that's it that's got to be it right because like i i've got a friend who's got a brewery it's very small he poured a ton of money into it everything like but they don't make enough beer to like make a dent in anything whereas with marijuana with that amount of investment that he put in, you could probably, you know, f- provide marijuana for a hell of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and they go into a fair amount of detail about it, but um, without law grows, uh, exacerbating cannabis-related violence, bringing shootouts, robberies, kidnappings, occasionally killings. Laborers often toil in squalid, dangerous conditions, frequently are cheated out of wages. They're often illegals. Uh, carbon monoxide from generators and charcoal braziers have killed seven workers as they labored or tried to stay warm in seen, sealed greenhouses. Uh, unimaginable environmental damage. Millions of gallons of water being diverted at a time of severe drought, pulled out of aquifers, even as the wells of local homeowners go dry. Unchecked chemical fertilizers have been deployed along with banned lethal pesticides. Immense scale of illegal cultivation fed a glut that crashed wholesale prices last year, jeopardizing those in the licensed market. Uh, it's a disaster. Certainly a disaster in the making. Yeah, I was asking uh, how many of you are still buying it illegally instead of legally just because it's so much cheaper. Jack, I grow two or three cannabis plants by my garden every year. I cure it in the fall, put it in a mason jar, Probably smoke half of it throughout the year. Granted, I'm a light smoker, but I have no idea why there's any money in the pot business. Well, everybody has a garden, I guess, or wants to put in the effort. I don't have a, I don't have the slightest idea what pot costs. Certainly, illegal pot. But you're you're. It's that much cheaper than buying it at the dispensary, huh? Oh uh, yeah. How did yeah, the, I... how did the pro pro pot government crowd not? Figure that out. We can't make it so many multiples more expensive than the already available illegal stuff or nobody's going to buy it, although people are buying it. Right, although it wouldn't have to be multiples, uh, you know, less expensive or a fraction of the cost or whatever. I mean, if I can get $100 worth for $90 with zero fear of any consequences, if it's for personal use, even if it's a substantial amount for personal use, I'm going to do it. I'm going to save that $10. Well, you said a third. So were you just throwing out a number or was that actually in the article? No, that was just a, okay. a number. Okay. It, it wouldn't surprise me, though. If anybody knows the difference in price, uh, feel yeah, free. There's... I mean, because economics are economics. I mean, the, the sellers of illegal pot are selling it at whatever price gets them the most return. And if that's 10% less than legal, that's what they're doing. If it's 25% less, that's what they're doing. But the sellers of legal pot are going as low as they can and keep their doors open, but they got Correct. all the taxes and paperwork and everything else added to it. Exactly, yeah. Um, I had another question. Yeah, yeah. If you know much about this, we need to, we need our potheads to weigh in. Luckily, this is late in the show when you're up. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Um, 
The, oh, my my the, the dispensary in my town, I don't know how many of them there are. There might be 10, but there's one that I drive by because it's on the way to something else I go to. There's always a line. Mm. So somebody's buying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not good. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my sexy pants on. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Mentioned yesterday I had a a, a pumpkin spice spotting. I thought it was the first of the season. Thought, holy hell, it's still August. We got a ton of texts about this. Costco particularly, two weeks ago, somebody uh, texted a picture of a, a snowman that lights up. You can buy at Costco. A snowman for Christmas in August. Uh, they already have Halloween candy and costumes out at Walmart two and a half months ahead of time. Here's somebody else at the Costco at Carmel Mountain, San Diego yesterday, where they have Christmas stuff in full. So, again, that's just what we do. You find out about the Super Bowl commercials ahead of time. You you you, you see the Christmas stuff and freaking in the middle of the summer. <laughs> just just what, what the modern world is. Michael, you got a little uh, theme music for me? Because it occurs to me what I'm going to be talking about also could fit into <clears throat> Armstrong and Getty. Look at the modern. No, that's not good. It's good. We got to, to let something about the modern world or something. I don't know. You got anything? <laughs> this modern world. This modern world. Exactly. Which sounds like a feature at you might get in 1961. Long hair, rock and roll music. Anyway. Read this with interesting with interest. The title of this article is uh, "What It's Like to Date in the Metaverse," which goes along with a piece called "Phantom Touch and the Real Pleasures of Virtual Dating," which have to do with all sorts of icky stuff that I won't be discussing. But it's uh, by a gal. She writes, "On our first date, CC and I met on a floating platform suspended in the middle of a distant galaxy." That's a great first date. I'd say. As with much space travel, we experience... Oh, did I ever tell you? I I hope I'm not revealing too much. My daughter and her boyfriend, not the daughter who's getting married, but my other daughter, um, she was friends with her boyfriend before they were romantically involved, Mm. and he used to take her places to scout out first date locations. And they'd have such a good time, they both started to think, you know, this is kind of funny. And sure enough, they're a great so couple. So was he legit just interested in her friends at the beginning or just said he was? Because uh, 99% of the time, the guy is interested long cannot, before the female is. I cannot definitively answer that question. Uh, I have a good enough relationship with him. I may ask him someday. I mean, that's the entire premise of When Harry Met Sally, right? The guy is always working it. Well, and if he were when to girl say, always says, oh, no, we're just friends. I have a lot of guy friends. Yeah, you yeah. have a bunch of guys trying to date you is what you have. <laughs> right, right. Um, uh, uh, Yeah. And and if he says, yeah, actually, that's that was my angle. I'd say well, well played. Well, well, well played. Yeah. And welcome to the, just the way it's always worked, probably. Yeah. But no that's kidding. a pretty that's a pretty good one right there. Scouting out first date locations. But uh, how about a first date on a floating platform suspended in the middle of a distant galaxy? As with much space travel, we experienced a few technical difficulties. 
Uh, CC was supposed to be a rabbit, but they looked to me like a small animated girl in a hoodie with large cat ears and a tail. My voice was on a delay that disrupted the natural flow of conversation, and for several minutes my body, that of a lanky blonde woman in a cropped puffer jacket and leggings, crawled around in a half squat, like a terrier looking for the right spot to relieve themselves. Relieve themselves. I'm sorry, I heard my voice say a couple of seconds after I had actually apologized. I don't know why this is happening. Don't apologize, CC said after the delay. They had seen much weirder things before, they assured me. Such was the nature of interacting in virtual reality. Which apparently now is a big thing. I had matched with CC a week earlier on Never Met, one of a growing number of virtual reality dating services that allow users to match with other VR enthusiasts, then arrange a meetup somewhere in the metaverse. There's also Flirtual, which promises safe, magical dates in VR. Flirtual. There's Second Life's Lonely Hearts Dating Agency. Even Match Group, the company behind apps like Match, OkCupid, Tinder, and Hinge, announced in November of last year that it would be launching Single Town, a virtual space where singles can meet and organize pixelated rendezvous. Wow, this modern world. Baru. Uh, all it takes to go on a VR date is a fully charged headset and an open heart. And you and your companion could enjoy a <laughs> never-ending beach sunset. A fully charged headset and an open heart. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It, I can't decide if this writer is fully aware of the ironies that, that run deep through this article. So it, sound, can, it sounds like another step toward risk-free relationships and, and, you know, not having to dip your toe completely into the pond. And human contact with absolutely no messy human contact. Right, exactly. Right, which will end up with uh, horrors unforeseen, except uh, in the minds of the greatest uh, sci-fi writers, I guess. Uh, so anyway, you could enjoy a never-ending beach sunset. In VR chat, Serenity Cove, or roam around a post-apocalyptic landscape and race against fate. You could play freeze tag in a world with magical moving walls or flirt in an underwater lair surrounded by gigantic alien jellyfish. You could also just meet up at a bar, which is a really popular VR date option, I'm told, she writes. Um, the idea of it's just like dating, except like without being with any humans, and it's way better because you're surrounded by alien jellyfish. Sounds like a recipe for somebody dying of loneliness, no, loneliness and never quite understanding why. Oh boy. I'm not I'm you know I'm not kidding. I realize right? that's no. that's yeah. uh, no, it's depressing but I'm it. serious. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're um your relationship adjacent, but I think that's going to stop you from getting all the the good stuff. It's like dating apps, Jack, except instead of a, a pic of you at your friend's wedding when you're all dolled up, it shows your metaverse avatar. Looks still do come into play, of course. Lots of users want to connect with someone whose avatar is a doe-eyed woman in micro-jorts. Or perhaps a hyper-masculine beefcake with mandibles that splay out and away from his mouth like bat wings. What? Micro-jorts? <laughs> Those are called underpants. Yeah, God, you know, dang it! The, so know. you're so you're you're not seeing each other. You're seeing um, a fantasy fantasy versions of each other 
dating in a fantasy world. Well, no, what is it? What is going on here? Or we're t- and, I think we're turning Japanese. And as the old song went, yeah, uh, and never actually being with each other until perhaps some weird meeting at an airport in a few months. But you know, at least that's a step in the right direction. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We were talking about the contrast between what was sold to the people of Cal Unicornia in terms of if we legalize pot, uh, the difference between the sales job and the reality, and the L.A. Times with a magazine-length piece on it. It's really interesting. It's long as hell. Um, but we shared part of that with you yesterday. Um, California's uh, Prop 64 in 2016 sold voters on the promise a legal market, a, I'll say lawful market, would cripple the drugs outlaw trade with its associated violence, environmental wreckage, et cetera, et cetera. That was one of the, big selling, the biggest selling points. It, it absolutely brought around people who are not big fans of pot or 
You know, actually, you know, certain numbers of potheads thought, you know, I don't, I don't particularly like to be outside the law, and I don't particularly like the idea that the dollars I'm giving somebody who's selling me this pot is going to some cartel somewhere. Yeah. So yeah, it really sweetened the deal. Um, but instead of that promise, a Los Angeles Times investigation has found the law triggered a surge in illegal cannabis on a scale California has never before witnessed. Boy, I, and, I, if you'd have told me it would stay the same, I'd have thought, okay, well, that's interesting. But to tell me that the illegal growth would surge, I thought, how is that even possible? And then, as we discussed yesterday, rogue cultivation centers stretch from Mount Shasta in the far north to the Mojave Desert, the steep mountains on the north coast of the Sierra Nevada. Residents in these places describe living in fear next to heavily armed camps. Criminal enterprises operate with near impunity, leasing private land and rapidly building out complexes of as many as well, 100 greenhouses, which can do, I think they said, three harvests a year. Or is it three to five harvests per year? The scale of the crisis is immense. A Times analysis of satellite imagery covering thousands of square miles of the state showed dramatic expansion in cannabis cultivation where land is cheap. Now, you might think, well, who cares? I mentioned the uh, armed camps and the violence and stuff like that. The rape of the environment shocks the conscience. It's astounding. The thievery of water, the dumping of chemicals, uh, use of uh, fertilizers that flow into streams, killing all sorts of fish. Um, just, it's, it's a terrible. And then you have outlaw groups have exacerbated cannabis-related violence, bringing shootouts, robberies, kidnappings, and killings. Laborers often toil in squalid, dangerous conditions, frequently cheated out of wages. Uh, carbon monoxide has killed seven workers as they labored or tried to stay warm in sealed greenhouses. Uh, let's see. Here's your environmental damage uh, that we mentioned. Uh, the immense scale of illegal cultivation fed a glut that crashed wholesale prices last year, jeopardizing those in the licensed market. And small-scale legal farmers are unable to sell the crop. Uh, they've been pushed toward financial ruin. So it is a disaster. Um, now to the stuff that we didn't get to. Uh, the state has done little to address the crisis. It's a hodgepodge of local agencies, county agencies that are trying desperately to get a hand on it. But the state that pushed and passed and benefits from the tax money has done virtually nothing. Um, some quotes from law enforcement. Mendocino County Sheriff Matt Kendall. It's like taking on a gargantuan army with a pocket knife. I wouldn't do that. No, that seems like a, an ill-conceived plan. Um, and again, this goes on for pages. So everybody's got the same question, though. How, how, why? How does this work? Why? When prohibition ended. Uh, the whole bootlegging crime, Al Capone, you know, Bonnie and Clyde lifestyle went away because people went back to buying legal booze. It was, it was just, you know, easier, cheaper, safer, whatever. Why is, why are so many people buying illegal pot? Right, and that is uh, the obvious and an excellent question. Uh, first of all, the taxes and regulations on legal stuff, which is part of what got it passed, anti-pot people, are so onerous and difficult to follow and so incredibly expensive that it's uh, it's very, very easy for the illegal guys to undercut the lawful people. Uh, we had one email that said uh, black market weed costs a third of the legal stuff. Uh, that's, you know, local number. Who knows? 
So it's just um, it's just it, the, the difference between booze and pot. It's just the difference in the kind of product it is as part of it, and then you got all the taxes and all that sort of stuff you're talking about. But like, if I'd have had a buddy who could have made beer as good as Coors Light for a third the price, I would have bought it from him. But, yeah. But all my home brewer friends, their beer was some of it was pretty good, some of it wasn't. But you know, it varied and it was took a long time and it wasn't a third the price of regular beer because beer was really cheap. Right. Um, yeah, it's a different well, product. Right, and the second point that I was going to get to is the decriminalization of it has so lowered uh, cannabis production in terms of the priorities of law enforcement um, that there the the illegal growers are operating with impunity now because you know seeing a pot farm from a helicopter used to be an automatic. All right, we're going in to bust the thing, and the DEA was everywhere. Blah blah blah. But now that it's legal. Um, I, I just, I guess it's just not the priority it used to be, but it's about to become a, a, a priority again because the illegal cultivation is so ugly. Uh, here's uh, somebody who says, "Yeah, I go to the dispensaries. Most of the shoppers are middle-aged and older uh, that can afford to pay the higher prices of the legal stuff. Um, the, the younger and underage and poor people are buying, buying from from the black market that's exclusively." It, that's interesting, and I don't doubt those numbers. I, I, the only anecdotal experience I have is the dispensary I drive by when I'm heading downtown in my college town. It's always got a line out the door of young people, but those, those must be uh, they must be outliers. Well, it's an affluent college town, too, which I think matters. Uh, you, as you well know, go 25 miles north of your town, you, you run into a, a very different demographic. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Aileen Anonymous writes, I was looking to buy property in Mendocino County, one of the most beautiful places on earth, and discovered many were marijuana grows. Your Realtor.com listings have satellite map images, and it's amazing to see all the round grow containers and hoop houses. Wow. Look around Laytonville and North. You'll be shocked. Wow. And uh, a, a, a giant pot farm. I mean, have you seen Ozark? The kind of people that deal in that sort of stuff, you don't want to be, you don't want yours as your neighbors. Oh, no, no. And a lot of it's the Mexican cartels. Right. Who are in the habit of leaving a dozen heads on a street corner just to send a message. Uh, then this from uh, Al Anonymous. Guys, listen to your segment on California weed growing disaster. Thought I'd give you my 420 cents worth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I may or may not know somebody who was involved in some outdoor marijuana growing over the past decade. The game has changed a lot in California. The fact remains that high profits are still out there in other states. A pound of good indoor pot in California used to go for around 3500 bucks. Now you'd be lucky to get 1800 from a dispensary legally. It's nothing for these big outdoor gorilla growers to grow 500 to 1,000 pounds of pot, throw it in a U-Haul, and try to get it to, say, Dallas, Phoenix, or even Atlanta, where the Cali Kush reigns supreme. Really? Places where it's still illegal present a huge market for California-grown pot. Long story short, I'd say we're in the export business. Interesting. Well, So now that's going to be the argument for legalizing it in other states. If it were legal everywhere in the country, because that was, that was one of the questions. I remember asking that question myself was, uh, won't there be a, just a huge demand in the other states? Yeah, I, the difference, the other difference that I meant to get to between booze, for instance, especially hard liquor and pot, is that uh, booze is uh, equipment intensive, and an operation that would produce a significant amount of it would be pretty obvious um, and and fairly easy to track. Whereas you got a crop grown in the way out boonies. 
I mean, people who've only been to California and gone to San Francisco and Los Angeles don't understand there are, there are hundreds of thousands of square miles, probably, right? Uh, certainly tens of thousands that, that nobody lives within 15 miles. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's a couple cabins here and there. So it's easy to grow an incredibly profitable amount of marijuana in a handful of these hoop houses. Wow. Maybe I should get into that with the inflation numbers out today. It's worth considering. You might have to deal with some unsavory folks, but hell, we're already in the radio business. Get me a a hoop house and a machine pistol and start my new life. Maybe a hoop skirt. Where that? That is something. Talk about unforeseen consequences. Some hoop earrings. The illegal pot business is significantly bigger than it was before pot became legal. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah, whoops is right. Well, and if we're going to legalize it everywhere in the country to deal with that problem, the regulations and taxes have to be low enough that the illegal guys don't perceive it being worth competing with the lawful people. Otherwise, they will. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jack Armstrong. 
Armstrong and Joe Getty. I forewarned you. Let's go, Brandon. The Armstrong and Getty Show. How do you pronounce this football player's name that was in all oh, that we were talking about? Geez, we talked about him every day for a while. Manti Teo, I think, right? Is that right, Hanson? We'll find out. We're gonna, so Manti Teo. And uh, back when this story exploded, God, we talked about this for days. Remember, oh, yeah. we were reading transcripts and playing audio. And I mean, this was quite the, the soap opera. Do I remember yeah, but- just before we get so there's a documentary out. Just to refresh my memory briefly, even if it's wrong, before I get into the documentary, was uh gonna be a giant. So he's a college football player on track to become Mm -hmm. a giant star. Was engaged to a chick he'd never met before, doing some sort of online thing, and it turned out she was a dude. Is that right? Yeah, she didn't exist per se, and they kind of deal with that in the trailer. Okay. Yeah, I was just wondering if I remembered that story right at all. Why yeah. Was, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and, then, and then he was on, I, like, Ellen well, and Dr. Phil and stuff like that. Well, and I'd forgotten the... Well, let's play the trailer, then okay. we'll discuss it. Manti Teo had an absolutely astounding senior year. His grandmother and girlfriend, Lene Kikua, had died the same night. He dedicated his season to them. It was an amazing story. I mean, they were with me, you know. I'm missing. One problem, his girlfriend did not exist. I don't think anyone can appreciate how big a story it became. This was a very sophisticated hoax, perpetrated for reasons we can't understand. At this point, I'm at the Heisman ceremony. I don't know what to think, and I can't tell anybody what's going on. He'll never say it affected his play, but you could definitely see something was up. We just thought, what sick joke is someone trying to put on us? My uncle immediately said, I think you're getting catfished. Right? Ready to roll, man? Doubt. I created this fictional character, Lene. I totally felt fear. I didn't have courage to just be like, this is who I am. It became evident that we had a major story. I was afraid this was going to affect my NFL future. I don't think he had any concept of how much the media will build you up and then tear you down. I didn't expect it to blow up so quickly. This is about to hit the fan. That's when everything went chaotic. I love you so much. There were two people. It was crazy. My whole world changed, and I'm questioning everything. And Alex, you can jump in if you want, because you're a sports fan, if we uh, for, if we misremember anything. So did he actually win the Heisman? No, he came in third, I believe, that year. Okay, but he, he gave the speech about how his girlfriend had died at some point, and that became a really big thing. That was like a... Yes, grandmother and girlfriend died like simultaneously on the eve of the big game. I mean, it was just too incredible a story, and he had to bravely go out there and and, and play anyway. Now, Granny is past. That part was real. So she wasn't being Granny catfished. So Alex said something when he came in the room. He said, "We all owe him an apology." Why do you say that, Alex? Oh yeah, I, I've watched bits and pieces. I'm not completely through the documentary yet, but he. He was a young man playing at a high level of football. He was focused on football, and the, the main reason he hid this whole thing when it blew up was because he didn't want to be seen as a crazy guy who was in a serious relationship with a girl who he had never met. Right, well, which makes you look pretty crazy, but, you know, he's also a kid. Exactly. He's a young man, and he's a very talented football player, and unfortunately the whole situation essentially tanked his career. In what way did it tank his career? 
Well, he was in the, you know, for those who aren't familiar with college football, the Heisman Trophy is the best player in the nation that year. And he's in the finalists, and it's a very elite sec- uh, section of players. He's going into the NFL draft. This whole story drops after the big game. It dropped his draft value, so which affects his paycheck. And the only thing anyone ever talked about once he made it to the NFL was the not-existent girlfriend. No one ever talked about his play on the field. It obviously affected his play on the field. And he's now out of the league. So he didn't have the ability to to ignore it and keep playing, which I'm not knocking him for that, because it was a pretty big story and he was a kid. And it was like but, the big story all of oh, 2013. Well, I can't believe how much we talked about it. Well, and you'd think, you know, a guy of that much ability might be able to transcend that and, and his play on the field just makes everybody forget. But it was so massive. And if it followed him everywhere, it could distract and dis- discourage a guy. Well, imagine playing against somebody in the NFL. You're, it's a vicious sport, and they're going to sit there and chirp in your ear. Oh, hey, you're Maddie, the guy who's dating a guy. You go out tonight? I'm your new girlfriend, Maddie. Oh, yeah. It would mm. be in his head all the time. <laughs> Wow. I'm remembering why we talked about it so much. I mean, it's unfair to, to the to the poor guy that fell for it. Um, but I mean, it's a pretty hard story to ignore. Well, and the fact that it was this transgender person who just wanted to be a hot woman, so kind of became one using other people's pictures and and recruited family members to back up the story. I mean, it was it was absolutely conspiracy to commit fraud. What year was it? 2013. So I'm thinking that it, part of the reason it exploded so much, it was early in the whole online dating thing when it was becoming like super mainstream and common. Early in the whole trans thing, when that was becoming right. way more of a conversation. So it had, you know, a couple of points of interest converging at the same time. And it's just, it's a compelling story. Poor yeah. guy. Yeah. I mean, okay. we made fun of him a lot, just like everybody else did. And, uh, but you know, you're a small town guy. Here he comes from this small village in Hawaii, not a lot of life experience and everything. And just, uh, thrust onto the international stage. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. That is rough. Yeah, and then all, all I do want to wrap it up. He's a nice guy. All things he donates time to the Special Olympics, the Hawaii Food Bank. He's an Eagle Scout. You know all those things. He's a great kid. So he has no known, uh, like outstanding flaws other than he was super naive about a love relationship, and he got duped by an insidious plot. Yeah, which is why we owe him the apology. Yeah, because that sucks. Because there's plenty of uh, Deshaun Watson last week. There's plenty of scumbags in the NFL. I mean, just rotten to the core, awful human beings. Allegedly, um, this guy's only crime was being naive about love, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's rough. I kind of feel bad about that whole thing. Because Jack said some mean things at the time. Prob- I defended the poor lad. I believe I believe one of us uh, regularly made, uh, you know, acted out scenes of a fake phone call and et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but man, so sad. you know, you know, and my, you know, I don't know what level of uh, naive my kids are going to be, but I, if I'm close enough to to them to know what's going on, I certainly am going to say, say so you, you haven't met this girl at all. You've never met her face to face. Okay. Gotta say, I'm a little concerned about that. I have seen people duped, and logic is a mouse in the face of the lion of their emotion and their needs. Nothing will cloud your judgment like falling in love. Nothing. 
and or being horned up and or and or sex i mean for other people i've never been a victim of that myself i'm the rational man i'm practically mr spock over here but yes for normal people, yes, it will make you a crazy person. Uh, one more question, Alex. What does the point of this documentary seem to be? Is the point what you said? We all owe him an apology? I think it's more to recap just how wild the situation was. <laughs> the point was. of it is to make money because it's still an entertaining story. That's the point of the documentary. Oh, yeah. That's Netflix. For the you. point of view of the documentary, I guess. Uh, but it's part of a series that they have uh, but is it mostly Does it mostly make him look like a victim of something? I mean, he was a victim of something. I haven't finished it. I'll get back to you on that. Okay. I've got to believe it does. And I mentioned earlier in the show, I just finished watching the three-part documentary on Woodstock 99, which is uh, called Trainwreck, I believe. That's that's worth a look, too, if you remember that festival. It, and it, it's a throwback to the heyday of MTV. You got Kurt Loder reporting live, and Limp Bizkit playing and whipping up the crowd. And I, I've seen the trailer where it's got the part where Kid Rock comes out and does that thing where he just screams, My name is Kid! That crowd goes berserk. Yeah, that was the things are going well part of the festival. <laughs> it's an interesting gl- glimpse into humanity, particularly young men when massed together with no rules. Mm. No rules, not just right. Documentaries are having a moment to last several years, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah because if you're in the mood for one, you know where to go. Yep. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.